You're listening to Find the Outside, the podcast. I'm Tuesday Ryan Hart. I'm Tim Merry. This week on the podcast, we're going to take you through a process we recently developed kind of on the fly. It was improvised, <laughs> right? So- Well, like so many of our processes are, we do all that preparation going in and then circumstances happen and we have to adjust, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So this was, just to give a bit of context, this was in the middle of a three-day strategic event with a group of folks. And and like I, and like you said, we came in with our script, you know, multiple pages of what we're going to do and how we're going to get it done. Um, and uh, as happens with human beings, things just shifted. The needs were different. And so what we'd like to do, because after we ran this process, Tim, you and I had a conversation around, oh, right. maybe we should write this up. Like something quite special happened in the room and maybe we should write it up to share with our community um, and 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 kind of feed the learning forward. And I suggested that we actually do it on the podcast so that we'd have a little more richness. And also because I don't think um, what we developed is something that, for example, if we wrote it up, other folks would have the same results or even know where to plug it in because it was so emergent. It was so in the moment. And so I thought we could kind of take people through what we did. Yeah. And just to say, I think that's a common thing that happens is when someone does something good in the room, they like, they, they type it up and they put it into a PDF and they turn it into a process and then they send it out to everybody like, oh, here's a great thing. But I, I feel like so much of the way we approach work is in response to what's happening in that unique circumstance. And so much of the training we're trying to give people when we do our work is in the architecture of how to be participatory mm. rather than in the development of or the training in certain methodologies. So I love the idea of doing this on the podcast because it invites people into like, we really want to invite you into the deeper architecture. Like, please don't take notes on exactly what we did, but, but please listen to kind of like how it mm-hmm. happened, mm-hmm. you know, and what that says about how we can turn up as participatory leaders in our work and our world in response to increasingly complex and overwhelming circumstances and challenges. That's right. That's exactly right. So, yeah. so let's talk about that morning, Tim. Let's just start with the morning where we showed up with the script. Right, we showed up with an idea of uh, what we were going to do, and and pretty much figured out that it was insufficient. Right. Well, this thing sometimes happens when we work, where like we go to bed and we're like, we don't know what we're doing tomorrow, and then I wake up at like four a.m. and like have some kind of brainwave and then run it by you, mm-hmm. and that did not happen on this day. <laughs> <laughs> we arrived. We arrived at breakfast with with you know zero clear understanding of exactly how we were going to approach the situation. We knew that we had to do something different than was in our script. Like we all were like, this isn't going to work to fit the kind of feel and the kind of strategic demands of the circumstance. Mm -hmm. Um, But none of us arrived to that breakfast meeting, which was an hour and a half ahead of kickoff, Mm -hmm. right? Knowing what we were going to do. Living dangerously. Right. Mm-hmm. So I just want to say what we knew was this morning was a turning point, right? The day before, we'd gotten a lot, a lot, a lot of information in. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, we, we'd kind of done a, a lot of information gathering and we needed to turn the corner into developing strategy. Right. And we knew and there was a there was a lot to get done. There was kind of a lot of like practical, strategic kind of like we knew where we needed almost to end the day. 
And so it was that turning point moving from pulling in information to strategy. And so I think for the most part, uh, most of us at the table were really thinking about how do we pull and then turn the corner and move to strategy. And Tim, you came in then and like you just kind of had this pensive look on your face as we were kind of chatting through different options. And then you came in and said, I don't know if you remember what you said, but what you said was what was missing was depth. And I'd love to hear you talk a little mm. bit more about that. Yeah, well, I was just like, I often tend towards strategy, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Like I just do, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, but there was just, I just had this like gut feeling that I couldn't quite put words on that if we went straight into strategy, what we were going to end up doing was just like replicating a lot of what we'd just heard about the day before. I mean, there was a massive download of data from across mm -hmm. this very large system, mm -hmm. you know, but there hadn't, although there'd been some intellectual analysis of it, there hadn't really been any kind of like, what's the word you use? Somatic, like mm -hmm. any, any mm -hmm. kind of like felt sinking into it or uh, like a visceral feeling of it in the room. Mm -hmm. And so, and so I just kept having this intuitive hit that like, although we were doing actually what I thought was really smart design work, mm -hmm. that somehow it wasn't hitting the need, you know? And I was like, oh, we've got, there's something else we need here that actually makes this human, that makes this not just a strategic decision that we're making on the basis of the data we've got and the stories that we've heard, but actually makes it felt in the room that something in the atmosphere of this room needs to like chink and go mm -hmm. down a level. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know what I mean? You know, when you feel mm -hmm. that in a room, like if you're sitting in a room and you feel it just like sink down to a different level of presence, consciousness, conversation, like you can literally feel it. And, uh, and I hadn't quite felt that yet. And that, uh, and so it was like, wait, we need, and so the only word I had for it was depth. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and luckily enough, I was with a group of people who were like, Oh, Oh, yeah. And then we started kind of beginning to integrate that or thinking about how we do that in our design. And partly because so much of our lead up to this retreat had been around beliefs, mm -hmm. which is that if we don't deal with some of the fundamental beliefs that underpin the current system, right? If we don't tackle our work on that level, it's highly likely we're just going to replicate the very thing we're trying to change because the current system that's in place, structures, services, programs, funding models, decision-making, et cetera, et cetera, is reflective of a set of beliefs, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. so we can look at all of that, but if we haven't actually engaged with our beliefs and thought about how we're going to shift those, then we're just going to operate from the same ones and just create what was there already. And so I think there was some of that framing that kind of our colleagues, Deborah Fries and, and, and uh, Gabrielle Donnelly had been bringing in that I think was kind of nagging at me as well. Yeah. And I think the other thing that really resonated for me when you asked for depth, a couple of things. One was that a depth of feeling was in the room. People, even though we'd engaged a lot of data, people had a lot of feelings about what the data uh. said. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so um, it was like it was there individually. People had strong feelings, but there was no collective sense of depth. Still, collectively, we were kind of at that intellectual high up space, even though yeah. there was a lot of emotion in the room. Right. And so to come to some collective depth, I thought would um, honor that emotion and actually let it have a place to express. Right. And as well, we were looking at a group of folks who had very deep structural divisions within them. And so to just move to strategy in some ways um, could have kept us kind of deeply in our camps, right? Mm. 
the camps that like people didn't necessarily even want to be in, but were just there. Uh, and like I say, they were structured in the organization, um, uh, where people were located in the organization. They were structured by nationality. They were structured by language. They were structured by gender. They were structured by race. All of those things were in the room. Oh and, my gosh. Yeah. And, um, and while it was there, I feel like it was talked about, right? Like we talked about equity and the, and the disparities the day before. It's not that it wasn't even allowed in the room. It was there, but we hadn't quite gotten to a place of uh, deeper than intellectual uh, digesting of those differences, mm. right? And so that's mm. for me par partly why when you talked about bringing in depth, um, I was like, yeah, I mean, like, yes, because of what I know about process, but also, yes, this is what actually the group needs. Mm. Yeah. So we sat around with our big typed out script, which tracks an, uh, an event minute by minute mm -hmm. and just started crossing things off and running around all kinds of different ideas. Um, and then uh, Deborah kind of threw this out, threw out the idea of a fishbowl. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't use fish bowls that much. I mean, I do use them every now and then. I've, you know, I've, I've, but, um, uh, cause they can, they can often feel a bit contrived to me. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But then, uh, but when we began to talk about it, what it was going to enable was for people to witness each other from the different perspectives that they were bringing in from the different parts of the organization. And then we began and well, the system really. And then we began to start thinking about, Oh, Okay, well, what if we began to work with that structure? How would that work, right? Yeah, and, um, you know, I have also used fishbowls primarily in kind of my anti-racism and anti-sexism work. And mm. part of what I think they can bring is is some perspective that you don't hear often that's not, you know, necessarily yeah, evidenced in the room. However, um, when we do a fishbowl around some of our traditional identities, at least in North America, it can really um, entrench people back into how they know how to talk about their experience, right? And so that was that was actually my level of concern at the fishbowl. Uh, what I liked about the suggestion was it would actually allow us to surface divisions that were in the room and unspoken. And I was concerned that it would encourage people to entrench back into the way they always think about talking about those identities. I remember us talking about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like we kind of went back and forth, like what does it serve? And I think part of our resolution about that was we weren't going to ask you, what is what is your, which is often the case, at least in anti-racism fishbowls, is like, what is your perspective as a this, right? Like the question mm. is actually inviting you to speak from that particular identity. And instead, what we did was we asked them to speak from themselves and the fishbowl would, yes, be around the way that we're structurally different. But the question was, it was something like, what is your deepest hope for the organization? Or what makes you tremble to admit that you long for here, right? And so it was a different kind of question to fishbowl. And that's kind of how we decided to navigate that particular piece. And so we asked a different kind of question. What is your deepest hope? What makes you tremble to even admit that you long for in this organization? And then we, uh, we said we would divide people in kind of the major structural difference differences in the organization. There were kind of three that were really clear. Um, and, uh, so we just said that that's how we would divide these, these, these divisions were 
as natural as breathing to them. Some people were located in the headquarters. Some people were located out of headquarters. If you're out of headquarters, there were two classifications of your job, right? And so we just kind of went with what was structurally there, but asked people to speak from a different way of being. Right. And we did a little bit of preemptive work beforehand. So there mm-hmm. are key people who are, who are, who are kind of on a, on a, on a kind of operations team with us. Mm-hmm. And we went out and we briefed a few of those people ahead of time about what we were heading into. So we, so just to say that this wasn't just like us just getting to like design a process and then dump it on the room. Like we went out and we checked in with the senior leaders and the folks we've been in design with and said, this is what we're heading into. And they were up for it. Yeah. And I, th- I think we admitted the riskiness of the process, right? Mm-hmm. It is risky mm-hmm. to break people down yeah. in traditional structure in what we're also trying to overcome. I think we admitted the riskiness and they felt it. I think we were all a little trembly, right? Going into the process. Yeah. And I remember chatting and, and like it wasn't, it, it was the uh, the riskiness of the vulnerability too, mm-hmm. the what actually might come out. If you really opened this up rather than just talked about it intellectually, like this may end up just being like an avalanche that mm-hmm. would just, there was some real worry that this would just knock us all over, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and there's also an acknowledgement that if we, you know, I remember talking very specifically to uh, one fella and him saying, well, he says he's high risk, but if we don't do this, you know, we'll never know yeah. what, what could have been possible. You know, and he's like, and I feel the need to, it's worth it. It's worth the risk, basically, was what he mm-hmm. said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we go into the room and, uh, and we, well, we agreed as a team that we were going to go for it. We talked with our team that was on the ground there in the organization. Um, we walk into the room and we ask, you know, there was a little bit of strategy there, right? So not to take, if, if we would just look at levels of power, not to take the group with the least amount of power to go first and not to take the group with the most amount of power to go first, right? Like just to kind of say that's, but I remember standing up and asking the first group to step in and how mm. much I understood the vulnerability of simply naming your role. Sim- that's it. And we all knew each other's roles, right? It was, there was no, there's no secrecy there. But simply saying, those of you who are in this classification, please come in, please step in. We're inviting you in. Um, and so just, you know, if those of you who don't know what a fishbowl is, what that means is that group of people, I think there were about eight of them, eight or nine of them came into the center and set their chairs in a circle in the center. And I happened to be the, the facilitator that was sitting with them. And then we arranged everyone else in a circle outside of that center circle. And so then the rest of our team was on that outer circle, kind of holding that particular place. So that's the physical setup, right? And how we ran it was um, we'd actually asked people to journal on that question beforehand, right? We'd sent them out to actually journal on what is your deepest hope for the organization. Uh, For example, what makes you tremble to admit that you long for here or something like that, that, right? And so we had, we'd had them journal on it and then we, we brought that in. So we brought people in and basically we ran it as a circle that had people watching, but for us in the center, and I'm going to talk about the center experience for those of us in the center, we were the circle, right? And so we were turning toward each other. We were looking toward each other. We were certainly supported by the outer circle, but the conversation was only in the inner circle. And so, um, uh, what I asked people to do was I brought a talking piece. I happened to use a photo album of my children um, 
as the talking piece and um, to invite us um, that felt important because to invite us to be our, to bring our vulnerability, I wanted to bring mine. And so I just mm. offered uh, this little photo album of my kids as kind of they're my biggest hope. And so I was going to share it with the folks in the circle and ask them to share theirs with me and each other. And so that was our talking piece. Well, just, just two things. So you've used the phrase uh, happen to twice, right? And so one was like, I happen to be the person who was hosting in the middle. Mm. And then the other one was when you said, uh, I happen to bring that photo of my kids in, you know, mm. and like, um, uh, I think it was just, I just think it was a very deliberate choice to have you person, have you the person hosting the circle in the middle, you know, because you were the best person to do it. Like your ability to like, um, host and hold people in that level of intimacy you know, with kind of kindness and graciousness and humor. I mean, I've, it, it, I mean, not only, I mean, on that day, I mean, you did in world-class, incredible work that day, but in general, when you looked around our team, it was like, you were the right person to be hosting that circle, you know? Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just that you happened mm. to be there. I just want to name that, that, that was a, you know, it was a choice within our team and a deliberate choice within our team. You know, that like, yeah, Tuesday, mm. that's who needs to be hosting that circle, mm. you know? Um, and then I also think that you bringing in your children, you know, I'm not sure if that just like just happened either. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think there was a little more to it. Though. It's not like you were like, oh, oh, look, I've got a photo of my kids. All right. Yeah, we'll just use that. I just think there was a bit more to it than that, you know? And, uh, and there was definitely more to it in the moment. Like it visibly moved you. Mm -hmm. you know, to open and introduce that talking piece. Like it wasn't just that you were vulnerable because you were bringing your kids, mm -hmm. like you were tearful as you introduced them, mm -hmm. you know, like you modeled a level and quality of vulnerability from the word go that like was in many ways alien to the whole culture of this organization. Mm -hmm. And you modeled it, but somehow maintained your dignity and professionalism at exactly the same time. Mm -hmm. And there was this modeling of, oh, look, we can be dignified, we can be professional, and we can be human. Mm -hmm. Here's my kids, and here's how much they matter to me, and see how this affects me. Mm -hmm. And I'm still able to run this without missing a beat, mm. you know? And so there was something just incredible about, um, I don't think either of those two things just happened, yeah. I guess is what I'm saying. I think there was real skill in what you did and how you did it. Um, and it may just have been your natural intuitive skill but there was real skill. There was real skill there, Choose. Mm. And I also think the choices of the roles that we played and who got assigned to them also was uh, very skillful in terms of our team. Yeah, I think, thank you, Tim. Thank you. Thank you for, thank you for seeing me. And uh, thank you for noting that for sure. Uh, and I, I don't have a great articulation of um, why I was the person to host that circle, but I we all agreed and it felt right. Um, so you're right. It didn't just happen. We made an agreement with each other. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think, and I don't, I think you said it really beautifully for me. It was actually like, I, I need to do what I'm asking these folks to do, which is be vulnerable, which is be brave, which is to put some skin in the game. And there's nothing more skin in the game for me, even though it was just a picture of my children. Like I, I felt, I felt like I offered my children into the hands of the group that was going to hold them. And that's a big deal. Mm. Right. And we were asking mm -hmm. them to offer to us. So 
and they rose to it beautifully, right? It's one of those things, right? The it's like two things. One, don't ask people to do what you're not willing to do, but also people will rise to meet, right? They will rise to meet yeah. um, what you ask of them if the if the ask is real, and if you can go right. there too. And so um, I think one of the things that enabled you to be so incredibly present in the middle when we chatted about this afterwards, mm-hmm. like you were, you felt like you described your ability to be present and host that host that circle, partly due to the different roles mm-hmm. that we had others playing. Mm-hmm. You yes. know? So it was like, you know, we had one person, Deborah, who was like very specifically almost like holding and supporting you, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I was kind of like hosting and holding the outer circle, mm-hmm. you know, and we had Gabrielle and Brona working together to cap, to be capturing and theming the content as it came up. So we knew the content was going to be captured. Exactly. You knew that you were being mm-hmm. tended and looked after mm-hmm. as you went into it. And you also knew that the outer circle was being hosted, you know, right? and like, and like that distribution of our human resource essentially enabled the work within the center to happen well. Do you know what I mean? A hundred percent, one hundred percent. I mean, it was just, it was just this really uh, powerful team way of of holding this process so that what could happen in the center could could just happen. I could give all of my attention there. I didn't have to for one moment look at the outer circle. Certainly I did, but I didn't have to. It wasn't, I wasn't holding that. You had that. And I, and I would look over at you at times and know you had it. I wasn't checking, but like you were so clearly in it. I could just Mm. let that go. And I want you to talk about your experience because I think it's quite important, Mm. but you were so clearly in it. And I Mm. was like, great, got it. Brona and Gabe, got the, got the content. So it doesn't, I mean, I could just tune into the the very person in the circle that was happening. And then I asked, I turned around and asked Deborah, I said, you got my back. And she was like, yes. And so it was like, okay. So we were just set all of us. To, and then I think you're holding the outer circle, right? And all of our team being like, so solid there allowed that outer circle to hold the inner circle. So there was a real Mm -hmm. sense of holding that inner circle and that we could just do the work we were there to do. And so that Mm -hmm. just allowed everything to happen. But I'd love to hear if you wouldn't mind sharing what the experience of holding the outer circle was like. Well, yeah. Okay. Um, So, uh, well, uh, I just want to point out, especially to folks who are listening that like we're using quite esoteric language here. Yeah. Right. Of like holding a circle, you know, this sense of like having somebody's back, but it's not like Deborah said anything No, Mm-mm. during the whole session, Mm-mm. you know, mm-hmm. we're talking about our team being completely grounded, but what does that really mean? You know, so I just, I just want to identify that like part of working with groups, like part of the ability to work with groups is of course, your ability to be strategic and work with the content that's there. And there's another piece, which is being able to be tuned into the individuals and the people that are in the room and responsive to that. And there's another bit that's energetic, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I don't think we, I don't think it's often talked about in terms of our field of work, mm-hmm. you know, and, and for us, you know, we're working on an energetic level over many months in highly complex systems. So like, yeah, like energetically, there's what's happening in a room, but there's also energetically what's taking place across many of the systems we're working in. But, uh, but I would say that I, uh, that 
you know, we're using quite esoteric language here because mm-hmm. we're actually describing something that's happening on an energetic level in a room. And I don't have good words to describe it as someone who's worked with groups for over 20 years, yeah. but I can, I can feel it. Mm. And the more I practice it, the better I get at feeling it. And then the better I am at being able to respond to it. And ultimately, the more I trust my intuition, mm-hmm. right? Which is because I feel often it's an intuitive response. So I had a totally weird experience and I, I don't often have these when I'm hosting, which maybe that's part of my setup, right? Um, which is that uh, what it felt important for me during that whole thing was to be, was to just be incredibly grounded. I could mm. feel like how vulnerable and shaky it was getting in terms of people watching it. And so, um, and so I would like close my eyes for long periods of time during that and just like hold it and then open them up again and hold it. But there was like a very deliberate, kind of uh kind of like uh centering and grounding of myself mm-hmm. right as i work in 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 the room it's like that bill o'brien quote we say all the time you know the success of any intervention depends upon the interior state of the intervener so there was a lot of work although i didn't although i wasn't hosting that in a circle that was doing an enormous amount of work to grab myself and very deliberately feeling like like I don't have better language than this, mm-hmm. but really, but reaching out and feeling like I was feeling mm-hmm. like I was holding that whole outer circle. But the other thing that happened, which is, which is, I don't know, less usual for me or something is that, um, uh, as I was sitting there, I started getting a lot of visual images, mm. Mm. right? Which was just a really, and that doesn't often happen in my hosting work. I often have an intuitive feeling that I'm responding to and finding words for, but I kept having a bunch of like, really, as I had my eyes closed, I kept having a bunch of really intense visual images with water of like, I'd have my eyes closed and then I'd have this visual image of like huge streams of water, like pouring out of the middle and washing out over it. Mm. And then there were other times where I, when like, where I felt like, water was like circling around the outside of the group in the middle. And, uh, and there were other times where I felt like I was moving it, you know, I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't like moving my hands. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, it wasn't like avatar and airbender where I was like, <laughs> what, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, but they, I, I don't, you know, and, and even to this day, uh, you know, I don't exactly know what I was doing mm-hmm. to be honest, but, um, but I know I was doing something you know, and, uh, because there is this energetic level of the room. And, and, and so often that's an intuitive feeling. It very rarely works in metaphor for me, mm-hmm. but, um, there was something metaphorical for me happening in my hosting in terms of like actually working with like keeping energy moving is what it felt like. It felt like constantly helping things get unstuck and keep things flowing on a level that wasn't actually about the dialogue. Yeah. You know, it wasn't actually about the people. It was about the energetics in the room. Um, it even feels slightly strange to be talking try, to be talking about it. I don't often talk about this side of hosting and facilitation work, but that was my experience. So it was quite amazing, to be honest. It was quite a. It was quite a. Uh, it was an important experience for me as a host of these highly complex processes, and then to just yeah, go. I'll be quiet now. You had things to say. Oh no, I it was um no, I just I do think it was an important part of the process. Uh, for a couple of things. One is that you said to me later, like, I'm not even sure I heard a lot of the words that were said. No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. Like you could have asked me what happened in the room Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't necessarily have known. Like I I just wasn't paying attention Mm -hmm. on a level of dialogue at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I wasn't paying attention on a level mm. of dialogue. Yeah, that shocked me actually when I thought about it after. People asked me what was said. I was like, oh, I fucking don't know. <laughs> uh, there was like a huge waterfall in the middle. I don't know. And then there was this whirlpool thing, and I was like pushing that round. That isn't that what happened? It, Didn't you guys all see that? You know, <laughs> absolutely. That's and I just so I just I wanted you to speak to it because it does feel like a key part of why this worked. I remember looking over at you and your eyes were closed. And I just like the word that kept coming to me was flow, like flow, flow, flow. Like Mm. I didn't have an experience of water. I didn't, you know, I mean, I was like, I was focused on that center circle, but I knew you were attending to flow somehow. So it's interesting that you were having water visualizations. And I thought the word flow was so uh, tangible. What you were doing felt so tangible to me, um, even though it wouldn't have been. And and this is why we why we don't write up this process, right? Because I think number one, I've said to you, uh, we could do it five more times and it would be different every time. Exactly. There are some things that just don't, uh, don't translate into a write-up. And also the, the fact is this group was able and willing and ready to go there because of this process, but because of the process they'd done a month earlier too, and getting to know each other through yeah. generative listening. And, and so it was just, yeah. it was, it was, it was a lot of pieces and just to kind of keep us moving. So those were the roles that we each, that we each played in all, we did the circle three times. And so the first time we had the kind of like medium power group come in just for lack of a better term, right? The next time we had um, the the group that would kind of structure wise have the least amount of power and they came in and, and told theirs. And then we ended up with kind of the group that had the most amount of power. And each group had a quite a different, quite a different texture uh, and, and, and ways of talking about their deepest hope and longing. But in every group, there was something that was incredibly moving. People expressed their longing, some of their pain, some of what they wanted. I wanted to point to two different pieces then that happened in the groups to kind of, before we move on, Tim, one is that, um, that in the, in the second group, that group that, that as we looked at the structure, of the organization had the least amount of power, uh, at one point, uh, as we were reflecting after the circle went around, uh, someone said, you know, kind of what happens in groups? They said, I think this group has the most pain. And do you remember this moment? Or oh, you yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, that was a really important moment because what it threatened to do was bring us back, bring us like pull us back into ourselves and our kind of typical divisions and our typical way of like, um, uh, uh, making an Olympics out of our pain, right? This group has the gold medal of pain. This group has a silver medal. And so it's not as bad, right? Well, it just would have fragmented uh, all of the wholeness, all of the wholeness that was being created. Right. It just would have fragmented it again, right? right? Exactly, exactly. And so uh, and so I I just stepped in and said, yeah, there's a lot of pain in this this circle. You're right. And it seems to me like we've heard a lot of pain today, even in the first circle, right? And so then you could just feel everyone nodding like, yes, right? Like there is pain here and we don't actually have to fragment on it. We don't have to kind of throw ourselves up against it and say who's worse. And it was just a moment for the whole group to feel the wholeness and reject fragmentation. Like that, I think, is what happened. The group that had been feeling wholeness had the opportunity to fragment again and rejected that. Right. And I think that was just a huge moment. Well, and then what you did that was like outrageous, keep going, <laughs> was you had them, t- yeah, so- you had the inner circle turn yeah. out to the outer, out, you had the inner circle turn out to the outer. And just to be clear, people who are listening, we hadn't planned any of no. this. No. 
Like what Tuesday did in that moment, none of it was pre-prepared. None of it was scripted. It was like she was, you were purely responding to what you were feeling in the room. You weren't checking it with any of our team. Like you were just moving, right. you know? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly right. It was like each of us was able to fully step into our role. And my role was, was to attend to this, this circle, this process, what was happening. And so, yes, at that moment, I saw the danger of fragmentation and just, I mean, I don't know that it didn't actually quite feel like thought. It felt like, okay, so how do I respond in a way that honors what, what is being said here and doesn't allow us to fragment? So that, that was where that particular intervention came from. The group felt it, the group responded, it felt right. And so then it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Yeah, it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful moment. I could feel it. And so then at the end of that group, I had the inner group um, stand up and face the outer circle. Right. And, um, and I, and I don't exactly remember what I said or what we did, but we said something like when we talk about these people, right. Cause people have been brought in based on their, 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 uh, role. When we talk about these people, because, you know, in an organization, there's a lot of like, oh, managers are this or these folks are this or HQ, HQ is right. that field is this. Exactly. Right? right. So there's a lot of that language. And so I just invited us to look at each other across these divisions. And and when we talk forward about HQ, when we talk forward about field, when we talk forward about resident, when we talk forward about mobile, let us never forget we're talking about these people. Let it not be abstract. We are talking about each other in this room. And so mm. that also was like just this moment of, <gasps> yes, that that's what we're up to. It was another moment of like re-knitting the whole and, and resisting fragmentation. And everyone got it, right? Everyone got it. Oh, yeah. That's what we were about. Oh, yeah. And so we did that for each successive circle, right? Like turn outward look at each other, let us know we are t we are no longer talking in abstraction. We are talking about these people when we say these things. And so so respond accordingly. And so that was that was the process, three concentric circles that were quite different, uh, ending with kind of turning outward and facing each other and giving each other and re-knitting into our wholeness. That's what we did for the process. And where that led us was like a completely different quality of depth as we then got into the uh, the work of defining yeah. very, very concrete, granular areas yes. that we were going to launch experiments to generate data around whole systems change, right. right? And not only that, the whole group was involved in the organizing of key themes to to decide on the focus areas. And there was something about the quality of relationships that had been built mm -hmm. that allowed that process then to move. I mean, it was it also, it's another process we could describe, but it was also highly improvised, mm -hmm. highly in flow, but incredibly productive and incredibly laser-like by the end in terms of the accuracy and the focus that we produced, right? And then people breaking out and working in those groups to begin to start designing their prototypes to launch in those areas and defining their progress markers and all of that. But like the quality of depth we were able to bring into that kind of strategic work uh, massively improved it. I mean, I've, that's yeah. exactly, I mean, that is for me, that's also part of the whole point. So it's, it's, it's like we spent most of a morning doing this process that felt 
as if, and it was about depth and relationship and connection and healing and, you know, like less fragmentation, all of those things. And what that was in service of was strategy, right? The strategy was better. Like on the other side, the strategy was quicker. It was better. It was more robust. It was more uh, collectively owned. All of that happened because of spending some time around depth. And I'm not saying, you know, only use depth for strategy, but these two things are inextricable. They're inextricable. And so we had like your call in the morning to move to depth absolutely accelerated our ability to be smart together and strategic in the afternoon. And so it was like that those it's it was just such a great example of the inextricability if that's a word of those two particular ways of working. And so we just wanted to share some of that with you. Um it was recent and it was important and it and it was also just felt like a huge victory for the project. Yeah, just for for this type of work in general mm-hmm. at, at, at that level of stake, you mm-hmm. know. I've got a song. I just found a song. Could you do the poem this time? Yeah, absolutely. I'm smiling because I thought we were going the other direction, but ab- I know, I know. Mm. Here's me. See, it's all about improvisation, mate. We're just going to do it. You do the song. <laughs> I will do the poem. Yes. So the, the Stone Roses, the band, the Stone Roses were massive for me growing up. They were huge, huge in England. And they have this one song called Waterfall. which is of course in line with so much of what we were talking about today. It's a beautiful song. It uh, would be an anthem of the 90s for me in terms of my growing up. Wherever I hear it, I know all the words. I sing along to it. And um, I hope you all really enjoy it. It's a good bit of uh, amazing British music. Mm. If, you don't know, if you don't know it, uh, I hope you enjoy it. Waterfall by the Stone Roses. Nice. Very nice. Okay. And my poem today is called The Traveling Onion by, by Naomi Shiab Nye. And I picked this because I actually was talking to one of our team members today, a person who was in the room, and I was uh, sharing back with her how much I think that her work on the team is important. Um, And it's not upfront. It's not the upfront face of our work. And yet it is pivotal and key to the success of the team and, and of the whole project. So this is called The Traveling Onion. When I think of how far the onion has traveled, just to enter my stew today, I could kneel and praise all small forgotten miracles. Crackly paper peeling on the drain board, pearly layers in smooth agreement. The way the knife enters onion and onion falls apart on the chopping block, a history revealed. And I would never scold the onion for causing tears. It is right that tears fall for something small and forgotten. How at a meal we sit to eat, commenting on texture of meat or herbal aroma, but never on the translucence of onion, now limp, now divided, or its traditionally honorable career, for the sake of others, disappear. Yeah. 
I love it. Yeah. So, so many onions make this work happen, right? They make it beautiful and tasty. And <laughs> and don't you think we all feel that way sometime? Like we're the onion, like, no, wait, I'm here. I did this thing. I made this happen. Right? Totally. All right. That's it for this episode of uh, Find the Outside the Podcast. It's been lovely having you with us. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. New episodes of the podcast are available every second Tuesday. If you'd like to get in touch with us about something you heard on the show, you can reach us at podcast at findtheoutside.com. You can find links for any of the resources, the poem, books, songs we mentioned during the show and the show notes for this episode over at findtheoutside.com slash podcast or in the description of the podcast in the podcast app you're listening to us on. You can find the song we played in today's show, Waterfall. It's a classic. Check it out. <laughs> and every song we've played in previous shows on the playlist we've created on Spotify. Just search Find the Outside on Spotify playlists. You'll find it. Or you can find a link over at findtheoutside.com backslash podcast. This episode was edited and produced by Mark Coffin at Sound Good Studio. And the theme music for Find the Outside the podcast is by Gary Blakemore, who I'm seeing in 10 days. Hooray. Nice. All right. Take care, folks.